Well, September is preparedness month. And so we're talking today with two folks on Savvy Citizen, Alexa Hodge from our public health department and Bill Melton from our Office of Emergency Management and Fire Services. They're both here to tell you about ways that you can keep your family prepared for any sort of weather events or other emergency that may come your way. They've got some great tips about how you can have go bags ready to go and what you should have in store in your home. So I am here with Alexa Hodge. She is the preparedness coordinator for Gaston County's health department. And Alexa, how long have you been with the health department? I've been with the health department almost six years now. Okay. Yep. And in that in that same role or a variety of different roles? A variety of different roles. I came on as a health education coordinator. Okay. And then I worked in tobacco policy and education. And then I'm now the preparedness coordinator. So a variety of different roles. So what does a preparedness coordinator do? So the way I describe it to most people is I prepare for everything from natural disasters to the things like we've experienced in the last year, like a pandemic. Mm. So from natural disasters to pandemic and everything in between. And typically with at the health department, if it sounds like preparedness, then it falls to me. So things like fire drills oh, and wow. safety policies and that sort of thing. Okay. Yep. So like if there's... A situation at the fire or at the uh, the health department where there's a fire drill. Are you like helping coordinate that? Helping coordinate that. Things wow. like tornado drills is something that we're looking at right now, trying to change our policy and make sure it's as explanatory as it can be to okay. lead people to do the safest thing that they can do, while at the same time leaving room for making adjustments if we need to. So, it, like, if you're getting everybody ready for a tornado and there's a tornado warning, you know, it's basically like, oh, don't run outside and try to see it exactly let's <laughs> stay away from the windows yeah that's something actually specifically we just put in there because it said go down to the lower level mm-hmm. last tornado drill we did people went down to the lower level but then there's a whole wall of doors and windows that are glass and we needed people to be away from that so yeah changing, i can see where that would be problematic yeah it might not be good so we're changing the wording of that make sure people are clear as well as with the health department we have two different satellite sites as well so making sure that policy falls the same against all those sites. So so a little bit like going away from inward focus to outward focus, what do you do as a preparedness coordinator as it relates to the public? So basically, you know, in my head, I see it as, as much as the pr- health department can be prepared is how we can be prepared for the public. Mm. So with the pandemic, you know, making sure we have our plans in place for how to handle things like a mass vaccination site, which we did for the last well, we're not doing it now for right. about six months. Right. Um, so making sure we have all the partners in place that we need to have, all the relationships and plans in place that we need so that we are prepared as a department and as an agency, but then that outwardly prepares us to help the public in that sort of situation. So what went into, uh, in that it's probably a simplistic question because it's going to be a much more complicated answer, but what went into getting those clinics stood up? A lot. And it looked a lot different from the beginning to where it ended up. Mm -hmm. So when we first thought of, okay, we're going to have to push people through a drive-through vaccination clinic, we only could see what we could do within the confines of our own department. So what did that drive-through look like at our own health department? And then we quickly realized that the health department was going to be one of the main administrators of the vaccine at the Mm -hmm. beginning, which is not typically what has been planned for in past years or what's happened even in the past. So we quickly realized we needed a bigger venue. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's when we got a lot of help from emergency management. We got a lot of help from gyms um, and we were able to partner with them and 
kind of expand our footprint. So we were able to get things like the farmer's market where we had thousands of people driving through at one time. So um, it looked like a lot of planning and it looked like a lot of, you know, scratch through that. Let's try something different. What are some some good tips for folks in terms of being just generally prepared and things that that folks should have on hand and and as it relates to some of the things that you guys deal with in the health department? Yeah, absolutely. I think if there's one thing we've learned this last year is that we need to be prepared for anything at any time as much Mm -hmm. as we don't want to be. And so I think it's very important for people to bring this to the forefront of their mind. I think a lot of us talk about, you know, we want to be prepared for things. We want to have those plans in place and it's something that we should do, but we don't necessarily have in place. So some of the things that you want to have for you and for your family to be prepared. And something you want to keep in mind is something they say in the preparedness world is 72 on you. So typically Mm. if a emergency happens or there's some sort of natural disaster, those first 72 hours are going to be kind of on your own, or you at least want to prepare that you're going to be on your own. Right. In the, you know, ideal situation, if you need to shelter, there's going to be a shelter set up. Mm -hmm. We're really good at that as a county. Um, You know, Ideally, you'd be able to go to a friend's house or a family's house, but what would you need to prepare for if you weren't able to do those things, and what would you need to have on hand? Right. Um, so with any preparedness thing, you've probably heard a hundred times, have a go bag. Yep. Have some sort of prepared go bag that you can easily grab, easily identify that has all the things in there. Um, you can probably think of the basic things that you may need. Food, water, things that are non-perishable in there, right? right? Um, You want to talk about things like medications and medical devices, and I'll talk a little bit more about that in detail in a minute. Make sure you have chargers for your devices and backup chargers for those chargers and Mm. backup power resources. Um, We know all of our lives live on our phone. Um, And so we want to make sure that we can charge those devices. And typically, if you're going into a shelter situation or you're going somewhere else, you will have some sort of power mm-hmm. device, right? But you want to be prepared if you don't have that. So what's your backup power resource? Right. Um, another thing I think people forget about a lot is things like comfort items. You know, in an emergency situation or some sort of disaster, it's going to kind of rock your world. And so you want to have those things with you that make you comfortable, um, that make your family comfortable. So, for example, in my go bag, I love to do calligraphy and draw and that kind of thing. Hmm. So I have a sketch pad and some markers in my go bag because I know that's something I can do that kind of chills me out. And something you could take and do just about anywhere. Anywhere, right? I don't need a lot of things to do that. Um, so things also like assistive items is what they call it and call it in the preparedness world. So things like as simple as like eyeglasses, right? Hmm. You need your glasses to see. Right. Um, if you have a walker or you have hearing aids or you need a wheelchair, what are your plans or what do you need to have in your go bag to have those things be accessible for you? Obviously things like a first aid kit, but in that first aid kit include things like Advil or like stomach medication or things that you're going to be able to have on hand if you're not able to access them. Another thing is medical supplies. So if someone's diabetic, they want to make sure that they have a backup blood sugar monitor, blood sugar testing supplies, and those sorts of things. Um, If you are someone who experiences a lot of allergies to things, making sure you're having an EpiPen, some Mm -hmm. sort of backup EpiPen in there, inhalers, those sorts of things. Makes sense. Also, don't forget about your family, right? You're thinking about the major kind of big picture things, but also think about the little ones, right? As someone who has a year and a half year old, I can only think of how many snacks that I probably need to have <laughs> on hand. Yeah. Toddlers love snacks. Yep. So those sorts of things for infants, formula, you want to mm-hmm. make sure you have formula, sterile water that you can mix that formula, obviously diapers and wipes, 
It's going to oh, yeah. be a bad day if you're somewhere and you don't have enough diapers and wipes Ooh, for your toddler or infant. Um, and then comfort items for them too. You know, what are the toys that they need? Do they need pacifiers? Those sorts of things. So mm-hmm. typically a diaper bag is going to have all of those items in there, but you just want to make sure that they're always stocked. I just got back from a trip. My diaper bag maybe has one diaper in it. So mm. I'm skating on thin ice. So I need to <laughs> make sure that I, you know, right. restock that one. Right. Um, but something that I think is really important and I'm very passionate about because I was a pharmacy technician for seven years. Hmm. Um, that's what I did all through high school and college. So very passionate about that, but making sure that you have medication preparedness in mind. A lot of us depend on the medication that we take every day or the medical supplies that we use. So we were just talking about people who may be diabetic. Mm -hmm. What are you going to do in a situation where you need your insulin and it has to be refrigerated? What's your plan for that, right? Or even just everyday medication, your high blood pressure, your cholesterol medicine, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. There's a list of things that you can do to make sure you're, you're better prepared with your medical um, needs. So always make sure that you have a list of medications. This is good to have in general because if someone responds to you in some sort of medical crisis, if you're having to be you know, transported to the hospital, they need a list of your medications. So sure. It's good to have that on hand. It can be a paper copy. It can be a picture of it on your phone. It can be a list in your phone, whatever works for you. Along with that, making sure that you have copies of your prescriptions. So if you are stuck in a situation where you don't have your medication with you, but you can show a pharmacist, you know, these are the medications that I take. Um, This is how I take them. You want to make sure that you have all of the necessary information on those prescriptions, you know, what medication is, the dosage, how often you take it. Because in emergency situations, pharmacists can do different things to be able to provide those medications for you. Got it. Obviously, in your go bag and related to medication as well, you want to make sure you have documents with you. Mm. So things like insurance cards, identification cards, anything like that, you want to make sure that you have so that you can get the things that you may need. If you can, have a backup supply of medication. So I know with refills and insurance and that kind of thing, it can be a little hairy to get a backup supply of items. But if you work with your doctor and you work with your pharmacist, for most medications, you can work to have a backup supply. And you don't need to have months on end of a backup supply, right? Just a week or so. Mm -hmm. Um, So working with your doctor to make sure you have a plan for that and what would happen, you know, if you were stuck in that situation where you needed medications, if you were in an emergency situation. Also want to make sure that you're prioritizing your medications. If you take something that's not as critical for your health, you definitely want that one. But if you, I would focus on the ones that you definitely absolutely need from day to day. Right. Um, The ones that you take kind of as needed. Yeah, it's great to have those on hand. But if it's not something that you need day to day, it's not something to focus on as much. You definitely want to make sure that you're rotating your medication and rotating things in general in your go bag. Okay. So if you're putting, you know, food and water in there, most food, non-perishable food is good for a long time. Mm-hmm. But knock on wood, you're going a long time without an emergency. Sure. Right? So you want to make sure you're looking and rotating that out. And that goes for medication as well. You don't want to be in a situation five years down the road and your medication expired in sure. 2014. I pulled out some Zyrtec the other day because my allergies were horrible, expired in 2017. Oh, wow. Didn't really do me much good. No, So, you know, do as I say, not as I do. (laughs) Um, And then have plans for storage of certain medications like we already talked about. So things like insulin, your medication probably doesn't need to sit in your car in North Carolina in the middle of the summer. No. In the 90 degree heat. Yeah. So your go bag, you know, it's good to have some 
go things in your car that can stay in your car at all times, mm-hmm. um, just as safety in general. But things like medications and those sorts of things, let's maybe keep them in the house sure. and everyone in the house knows where that go bag may be. And talking about this, you know, obviously having just gone through a pandemic, it's like that's one of the worst case scenarios, you know, something that uh, once every hundred years or, or even more than that. But I mean, uh, on a different scale, I mean, we've had power outages, you know, I think Dallas went through a power outage where the, almost the whole town lost power a few years ago for several days. Um, there was a major ice storm here, I think about 15 years ago, where there were a lot of people that were affected and basically had to, you know, like you were saying, like be prepared to be able to survive on their own for a couple of days because services may not have been able to reach them. Absolutely. And I think power outages is probably one of the most important things we can prepare for in our area. I feel like it happens more times than we'd like to admit Mm -hmm. (laughs) around this area. Um, And it can definitely be an inconvenience. So not only preparing for those situations, so obviously things like flashlights, backup power sources, making sure your things are charged, but also, you know, reading up on what the safety is for things like food safety. Mm -hmm. So, you know, your power goes out. What do you need to do with your refrigerator to make sure that you're making sure your food stays safe, right? right? Making sure that it's staying to temperature and that kind of thing. And educating yourself on what it looks like when food goes bad. You know, what's safe to still consume and what's maybe needs to be thrown out. Mm -hmm. So, you know, preparedness goes more than kind of the nuts and bolts and the tangible things, but also the education of, you know, what does it look like with food safety? Things like heaters, you know, space heaters are a huge um, safety concern. Oh, yeah. Um, but sometimes in the dead of winter, that's what people have to resort to if their power goes out. So what are safety things that you need to know with that? Um, so all of those different things go into preparedness. It's more than just items and bags, right? You want to make sure that you're both physically prepared with things, but also mentally prepared. And I mean, preparedness goes for really everybody across the board. It's not just something that's like, oh, it's unique to just homeowners or, I mean, homeowners, renters, adults, children. I mean, everybody's got to be kind of working this sort of plan. Absolutely. And something, you know, now having a little one of my own, that's something that's very important to me. My husband's also a fireman. So, you know, fire safety is very important to us. And preparedness is a conversation you need to have with your entire family. A great resource that I love is Mm ready.gov. Speaking of go bags, you can go to ready.gov and they have an entire checklist of things that you can just check off and make sure that you have. They also have really great interactive activities for children with preparedness. So it makes things like fires not so scary um, when talking about them and how to prepare for them and things like natural disasters and emergency situations like that. So it teaches them that those things can happen, but also what can we do to when those things do happen and how we can be prepared for those. Well, and just having those type of conversations. I mean, I remember when our family was living in um, eastern North Carolina when Hurricane Florence hit. And my daughter, um, who was three, three and a half at the time, um, still talks about the big, big storm. And because my wife and daughter came to this part of the state, I had to stay because I was working for TV News at the time. But yeah, I mean, she, she still vividly recalls, you know, oh my gosh, like how scary that was yeah absolutely in fact I've just fussed up my husband uh last night when we had a thunderstorm because he said oh it sounds scary out there I said no it doesn't doesn't sound scary (laughs) it sounds why don't we say whoa you know and we want to have that healthy sense of yes some things can be dangerous but also things happen and how can we be calm in those situations and I think the more you talk about things and the more you have those conversations with your families 
when a disaster happens or an emergency happens, we're a little more prepared. And I feel like the more prepared you are in life for different, for everything, you know, the calmer you are when you're able to react to those situations. Absolutely. And on that note, kind of my last soapbox that I'll stand on is making sure that you're signing up for emergency alerts. Yep, um, absolutely. Both nationally and locally. Um, We have local alerts that you can sign up through. Um, but also making sure that you have reliable sources of information that you can go to in that sort of situation. Um, you know, what apps are going to serve you best, what websites are going to serve you best. Um, that way in a situation, you know, from pandemic to emergency disaster where you can find the best information. So making sure you're seeking those out. And we're going to have Bill Melton in from emergency management. He's going to be talking a little bit about, um, the alert Gaston system, which is basically Gaston County's, um, for lack of a better term, alert system um, that we use <laughs> yeah. through Everbridge um, that really um, is a great resource and people really should sign up for it. Even even if you think, oh, well, you know, I, I stay fairly connected. It's a great way to make sure that like if something happens, you're getting alerted to it right away. And really it can run the gamut and Bill will talk more about this, but I mean, anything from, you know, weather to, you know, some sort of a a chemical spill or a train crash or, I mean, anything. Absolutely. And speaking from experience with Everbridge, it's great in that it's not going to send you alerts that you don't want, right? Right. It's only going to send you alerts that you definitely need. So I would highly encourage everyone to sign up for that. Yeah. You're not going to get an alert from emergency management going like, it's a little windy today. (laughs) Right. right. Remember to hold on to your hat. (laughs) Right. You may want to grab an umbrella. Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. Well, good. Thanks so much for, for joining us, Alexa. We really appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Okay, we're going to transition now from talking with Alexa Hodge to speaking with Bill Melton. He's with the Aston County's Office of Emergency Management and Fire Services. We're talking to Bill about their role in getting residents prepared for emergencies. If you can, Bill, talk a little bit about um, that, that power outage that, that we had in Dallas. I mean, you weren't with EM at the time when that happened, but you were, were you with Gaston County PD at that point? Well, so I started my career in fire service um, at the age of 14 with the East Gaston Fire Department, where I'm still a member. Um, I was with the Mount Holly Lifesaving Crew uh, before the days of Gaston Emergency Medical Service uh, back in the 80s as an EMT and still an EMT. And, and then I retired with the Gaston County Police in, in, uh, in 2016 after, after a career there. I'm not sure. I, it's sort of all of the above. I think. Uh, okay. um, I think I had retired at the time that 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 big storm hit. But the volunteer fire departments pulled the weight of that out there. It was. Uh, it was. It, it was something. It was something else. It was. It was all hands on deck for that thing. Well, and that was. I mean, several days of a power outage, right? I mean, we weren't just talking 24 hours it, sort of thing. When you have a lot and they have to get in, you got you got to move the trees. You got to get the power turned off. You got to right. move the trees and then put the power lines back up. If Say if Duke Energy is an REA in Gastonia, if they're ready for, they're preparing for, and they have their own um, weather bureau, by the way, mm. Duke Energy, and they're and they're very good. That when when that's coming, they can they can pre-stage their resources. But if it hits them out of the blue like that particular incident hit, there's a there's a lag time waiting. I think the longest I can remember um, areas of the county going without power, other than Hurricane Hugo, was an ice storm in December. Mm. probably about 15 or 20 years ago. And, and as we get into that season, um, we probably need to talk about that too. Because in Gaston County, if you're not from around here, you can go from uh, you can go from an, an ice storm, which we're prone to, and we've been lucky the last, last probably 10 years or so, um, you can go from an ice storm below freezing temperatures, the power's knocked out, and then the next day it's in the 50s or 60s, <laughs> and you've got to buy ice 
right. you know, to, to, to put in your freezer to keep you from losing everything, you've, all your food st- stuff. So, but you, you, can, you can have as much as, as two weeks, depending. That's the most I've seen it. Mm-hmm. Other thing that we deal with after storms is, of course, we talk about flash floods. When we have large amounts of water, that can impact us on the South Fork River. Sure. Because it's a fairly, it's a fairly uh, shallow river as it goes. And the Catawba River is there, again, maintained by Duke Energy. And so they're, they're generally pretty good at keeping the water levels, predicting what's coming seasonally, knowing when to drop the water mm-hmm. and so forth, and then to move the water prior to and during an event. If, if a lot of water comes down north of us, Hickory, Catawba County area, where the South Fork River starts, then we can get hit down here pretty hard with water and really not have a whole lot of rain. Sure. And that really affects us around mostly, most of the problems are around Cramerton, of course. Right. Um, in Cramerton and some areas, Riverside Drive and, and Lowell. The issue, though, when that when we have those events is to stay out of that water. Right. Um, we've had a number of fatalities over the years. The people go out there and, and go boating, kayaking, or swimming <laughs> on that water. Um, South Fork River, people don't really understand it. It's, it's a treacherous river even when things are, are going well. It's I can remember a drowning that we had some years ago where the a boat ran aground. And the guy got out of the boat to push the boat to get it to deeper water, and he stepped in a hole in the in the river and drowned. Wow! So um, that was down near Paradise Point area. So that that river can be treacherous even even on a good day. And so it's really my advice has always been to stay out of that. After a major rainstorm, though, we can have uh, standing water uh, creeks jumping mm-hmm. their their uh, their boundaries, overwashing. Uh, storm drains and roads, and then we say over and over, you know, turn around, don't drown. People have no idea uh, the high, the power that in water, as water is moving across a, a roadway. And so when you drive your vehicle into that, even if it's just you know up on the tires, it can wash you quickly over, and you're 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 now in a life threatening situation. It's probably not going to turn out so well. Yeah, growing up in Arizona, they'd actually passed. <laughs> what they literally called a stupid motorist law or people that would drive in and they basically would charge folks for the cost of the rescue because it, right. it, it became so endemic out there during monsoon season that people would just drive into flooded washes and get stuck and need a, you know, a swift water rescue. Well, and so what you see in, in urban areas, and for those of us born and raised in Gaston County, um, it's hard for us to think of this area is an urban area, but we are an urban area, and the more development that we have, and right now de- development is just off the charts, um, the trees are clear-cut back, um, the, there's more pavement, so you get more more stormwater runoff, mm-hmm. and that water goes downhill to creeks and low-lying areas, and then suddenly it can't make its way out, and it backs up, and you, you have it in yards. Um, you Anytime the water floods like that, you have issues with, with wildlife and debris. South Fork River, for instance, um, the Catawba River, three or four, five, six foot, ten foot up the bank, if there's tree limbs, there's trash, whatever there is, when that water gets up there, it washes that downstream. And the Catawba, the South Fork River can be moving at upwards of, of 60 miles an hour wow. in these weather events. And so you've got logs, sticks, cans, all of those things coming down river at 60 miles an hour, you get in there, it's, that's catastrophic. There's just a lot of stuff that goes on with, with water. So it, certainly in rain events, stay out or away, stay away from low-lying areas uh, for flash flooding. Flash flooding, yeah, most people haven't seen a flash flood, but when those that have, it, it's pretty monumental how quick 
the water rises and how quick the water can inundate. Well, I, I know you were talking just a few minutes ago about sometimes you'll get flooding down here and you don't really even see that much rain, but I think we saw that, what, about two years ago where you, you saw a lot of the rain up in, like, the Morganton, Hickory, Lenora area, and then it's all just coming this direction, you know, coming down the Catawba, essentially. They got they got thumped pretty hard in Hickory. They had a lot of a lot of water issues, and and then it came came down came down our way and caused us us problems too. You've worked with a variety of different kind of public safety organizations. What has your role been like uh, with emergency management? Because you've been there kind of part time for the last but about two years or so. About two years, yeah, and it, it's really messaging. Um, we we have some some unique things now in in Gaston County. We've got over the last year. One is a system we call Alert Gaston. Mm-hmm. We ask everybody to sign up on Alert Gaston. So what we have is a platform. In the old days, you heard reverse 911. You still see that in the media. That is an old terminology, an old database that, that we really can't get anymore. So what we have is a package through a company called Everbridge that we can actually activate uh, in, a, in, a, in a shape file in an area for a critical instant. It'll hit all the wireless phones in that area. The other thing is there's a subscriber package that, that has a number of contacts and businesses that we hit that also. But the alert Gaston part of it is anybody who works in Gaston County or lives in Gaston County can can subscribe to this. It's free. It's, it's, it's very easy to, to go on, online and do. So let's say that something happens at your home in your area and we send out a broadcast to whatever the, the, the issue is. If it's to the wireless, we hit everybody in the wireless area. Okay. But if you're not there... You're down at Myrtle Beach, you're in Charlotte, wherever, you don't get that. You come back home, you don't know that's going on or you're in the middle of something. Mm-hmm. If, you're, if you've signed up to Alert Gaston, it will let you know wherever you're at. Well, that's good to know. In mass notifications, and that's, what, that's one of the things that we do in emergency management, is if there's some threat, you know, it may be a train derailment, a chemical hazard, whatever, mm-hmm. and we've got to evacuate an area, there's no 100, 100% way to, to um, get everybody notified. You've got, got the electronic system. We send out wireless. We send right. out subscribers. We send out to the, to the data package that we've got. If you went through with PA systems, if you went through knocking on doors, you're still liable to miss somebody. What we try to do is have an, you know, put everything together so we get as many people as we can, but we, we can't preach that alert gas and stuff uh, enough. Emergency management itself does an awful lot of things in Gaston County. One of the things you we're getting ready to have a nuclear a nuclear drill. That's one of the smaller things that we do. Of course, we're one of the we may be the only one. I'm not sure, but if if not, we're one of just a handful that have two nuclear zones within the county: McGuire right. on the northwestern, uh, northeastern end, and then Catawba on the southeastern end. And we have a uh, FEMA requires a graded exercise every two years, and so we're fortunate in Gaston County where we uh, we activate our emergency operations center and bring all the people together every year. Um, I teach um, instant command through FEMA, through the North Carolina Office of Emergency Management, and we see them in some parts of the, of the state that they, they don't activate their EOCs or train or anything like that too very often because they, they're not required to. The other thing that we do is, like during the pandemic, one of the big things that we, we provide is support and logistics to our citizens. So when, when, we're, when we're out of gloves, when we're out of, we're out of PPE of all types, we're out of of sanitizer and things like that, our role is to is to platform, and, and there's a state law that we operate under um, that that really is is very efficient. We've we've got some really good leadership in emergency management. We were able to to assist with planning and and logistical support, and kind of take a take a lead in some of those things. That, that's what what emergency emergency management 
brings everybody together. Right. And coordinates, helps coordinate to make everything flow. It's a, it's a really unique office that, that we have here and then on the, on the state level as well. You look at PPE and it's like, oh, it's readily available. You can get, you know, hand sanitizer or gloves or just about anything you need anymore because it's been almost overproduced because of the pandemic. But, I mean, in the early days of the pandemic, trying to get any of that stuff was, I mean, you had to beg barter and do whatever you could. We, we were very creative in, in, in locating places that, that were producing the hand sanitizer and uh, and, and getting what we needed because our, our nursing homes were having a uh, – our assisted living facilities were having a time and right. hospitals and all that. So and that and that's one of the – the issues is is getting that material moving, finding it, procuring it, getting to where it, it needs to be, warehousing it. We had to bring in temporary shelters to, to house and warehouse that stuff and provide a system so when somebody came up and got something, you know, there's actually a, a procedure with the state where the local emergency management coordinates with the state. We need something here, we order it through the state, and then it comes back around. So it keeps everything on a, on a you can keep up with it. It's really, it's really technical. It's it's really, um, it's really a very good system. Well, and then in terms of the uh, the vaccine clinics, even though the, the EM staff isn't the one that's actually putting the shots in the arms, you guys are the ones that are kind of making the clinics themselves happen in terms of figuring out you know, traffic flow and making sure that like supplies are there and and literally making sure that we can actually have a clinics where we did them, whether it was the farmers market or or out at the East Ridge Mall site. Right, and that's that is the role of, of EM is is to help set up to help dis- distribute. You know, we're we're not policemen, we're not mm. we're, we're not health people, but our job is to get the stuff facilitated to get it out there to be to be that resource. One of the things too that um, emergency management does on the state level, and we have people credentialed in that in those areas, uh, provide what's called an incident management team. Um, so uh, to use some FEMA speak. Somebody that's a person that's in charge of of an incident is called the incident commander, right. and then you have your operations chief and a lot of technical stuff. But if if I come up on the scene and 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 something happens, the first person there is the incident commander. The next person that comes in of higher rank or more more authority um, or more skill comes in and takes over. It gets to a certain point that if you get your resources and your experience and your abilities overwhelmed, who do you call? Mm-hmm. And that's where an incident management team comes in. Um, and the incident management team are credentialed. When the person comes up and says, I'm, I'm a credentialed incident commander, I'm a credentialed public information officer, um, I'm a credentialed operations chief, whatever, they have had certain trainings. They have gone through real-world experience and have been checked off and certified to be in those roles. And so those are people that, if you'd say, they've, they've played ball in the All-Stars, in the All-Star Leagues. They've they played in the Super Bowl, right. and so when you have that kind of incident happen, those people can come in, and and of course we we have those people that, that work with us in emergency management that already have that those credentials. In fact, our, our director Kevin Gordon has has some of those credentials, and some of us are are working on those credentials. But we certainly work with if we need something like that, individual pieces. Uh, State EM, we work very closely with them um, to to platform resources because anytime there's an incident. It's all about resources. You know, you get overwhelmed, and then you've got to bring resources in. And if you've got a big, big incident, and it's covering, let's say, Cleveland and Gaston and Lincoln County, everybody needs the same stuff because it's the same problem. Right. Who decides who gets what? And then that's what that, that instant command system is in, is, is in place for. But everybody works together, and that's done through EM. 
So we've talked through kind of some of the preparedness tips for, for residents here, um, talking about severe weather. I mean, you've mentioned kind of, you know, what do you do um, if there's like a train derailment or a chemical spill? And those are a little bit more like, you know, if there's something here, you may be talking about, you know, evacuation sort of thing, right? Yes, or, or yeah, at least yeah, moving people out of an area. Right. I mean, obviously, in most cases, not a long-term sort of thing, but it's like you may just, you know, from a safety perspective, need them to move for, you know, six hours or whatever the case may be. Right, exactly. And, and something to think about, you know, when, you, when you, uh, if you're around a firefighter, they, when they go into a, to a building, mm-hmm. you can ask them, you can watch them. The first thing they're looking for is the exits because that's what they do. They're aware of their, their surroundings. What I like to tell people is where you live, Know your surroundings. Know what's near you. Know if you're near a rail line. We've got the CSX rail line on one side of the county, and we've got the Norfolk Southern line that comes through the middle of the county. They carry a lot of uh, heavy-duty chemicals. 99-car ethanol train, those, those tankers carry 33,000 gallons. So mm-hmm. you've got 99 times 33,000. You've got a lot of ethanol moving through your, through your area. If you're near a train line, know you're near a train line and have sort of a plan in, in place that if you have to get up in a hurry, your phone lights up at 3 o'clock in the morning and says, we need you to move to a different area. Yeah. You know, know which way to move. Um, know, know what's around. Know if you've got a chemical plant close to you. Mm-hmm. Um, know if you've got the train line. Um, we have two transcontinental pipelines in Gaston County. Right. One moves natural gas and one moves liquid petroleum right up the side of the interstate. Know where those knows where those things are in relation to where you live and know how to how to leave. Which different directions can you leave if you need to leave? Just because you've got the train line doesn't mean that something's not going to turn over on the road. We've got interstates. We've got 74, you know, on Highway 27, uh, Charles Ray Jones Highway. My my son, who's a, a firefighter, when he got on at 14, you know, I said the, the, the gasoline tankers that are headed west, those are full. Mm-hmm. The ones coming back are empty, you know, so – there's all kind of things out there on the road that can happen right in front of your have a have a way to go and maybe a place to go to. Sure. You know, you're always prepared, making sure you're prepared for a worst case scenario, but this is not the sort of stuff that never happens. I mean, we just saw the Colonial Pipeline uh, leak uh, where, you know, hundreds of thousands of gallons were, were leaking up near Huntersville just this past year. So it's like this sort of stuff does happen from time to time. It happens all the time. It just, it, it's it, it just happening in different places and, we hope that it never happens here. Something I do, I, I, I did miss on uh, storm preparedness and weather preparedness, I think that, that's critical um, for citizens is, is care of their animals mm. in, in all of this stuff too. Think about if you've got animals outside when it comes to be 100 degrees, 90 degrees and the humidity and all that, you know, make sure they're hydrated. If you can, bring them in, certainly in thunderstorms and, and things of that nature, leaving them in cars, leaving children in cars, it, most people don't really realize how quickly um, the heat level goes up inside of a of a car um, when the windows rolled up and the door shut. You know, it, it can it can be life threatening seriously in a very quick amount of time. So, you know, take care of your take care of your animals and certainly children in, in cars. To your point about that, I mean, it, it doesn't even have to be ninety you know ninety five degrees with you know huge humidity where it's like you can just feel it and you would think oh my gosh like I would never leave my kids out there. It could be in the mid-80s, but it's like you leave your, your kids or your pets in the car long enough, like that thing's going to heat up. It bakes them. Yeah, yep. it's going gonna, it's gonna to heat up commensurately, quickly, and uh, it's dangerous. Anything else that, that we didn't touch on that you wanted to, wanted to hit on? Um, I, just the, the big thing in everything is, it goes back to the old Boy Scout motto, be prepared. Mm-hmm. Know your surrounding. 
know your know, know your area and um, understand. Kind of back to your point uh, a little bit ago, is it can happen to you. Yep. It can happen. Um, it is happening to somebody right now, mm-hmm. somewhere on the planet. So the more prepared you are, the better off you are to to get through something comfortably and safely. And that's our goal is everybody comes through safely. To me, the idea of making sure that your trees are properly trimmed up is probably something that gets overlooked by quite a few people. I was amazed. Uh, the first time it really hit me was as a police officer on patrol in the early 90s. There was a large tree limb hanging out of an oak tree. Probably It was probably 20, 30 foot long, 20 foot long. Um, it broke off, and it was almost touching Highway 27 outside of Stanley. Oh, well. And I got out of the patrol car and went up there and worked on that limb until I got it loose. And I was amazed just how heavy that thing was, just how dangerous what I had done was, and just how hard that thing hit the ground. Mm. Um, That was my first notion of of limbs. And I've seen so many falls, so many on houses and power lines. Um, And and another thing, if if you encounter a power line down in the road, don't drive across it. Um, you know, and, and power lines also too, you see one down, it's not arcing, leave it alone because they have a system in there where it will try to turn back on, Mm. you know, and, and it, you're holding it, you're on it, you're standing on it. When that happens, that that's going to be catastrophic. And, you know, any wire down, don't, don't take a chance and say, well, that's just a cable line. That's just a fiber optic line. Just stay away from it. Don't drive over it. I know you got rubber tires. That's not going to help. That's a really big consideration is the danger of power lines. And right now, a lot of times when it gets hot, the power lines will they'll be, they'll be pulling so much power for air conditioning and so forth that lines will heat up and actually fall. Mm-hmm. So, uh, again, stay be careful with power lines. Stay well away from any down power lines. They Absolutely. can energize the ground. I know a lot of people uh, pay attention, you know, when we see on the news where it's like, oh, you've got a hurricane headed this direction. But as we were kind of top, talking about off the top, I mean – more than almost anything else around here. I mean, just the, your typical summer thunderstorm can be as dangerous, if not even more so, than than any of these hurricanes that come our way because of just the weakening they experience by the time they get to Gaston County. Well, you know, th- for us who went through Hurricane Hugo, I never believed that anything like that could possibly happen. Um, mm-hmm. the, the amount of damage and devastation that we had here, some four hours away inland from, from the coast, was, was really unbelievable. With hurricanes, though, for, for us in emergency management, we got generally a week to two weeks' notice before a hurricane's going to hit. Mm-hmm. So everybody's got time to prepare and get ready, and, and, and in, if you've got to shutter your windows, whatever you're doing, yep. you, you've got time to move if it's going to come and hit us, whatever. Um, you, you've got plenty of time. I mean, lightning strikes right out of thin air. Sure. The tornado drops right out of the, 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 the storm clouds. Mm-hmm. You get no, you get moments notice, if any notice at all, because when it when that weather cycle changes, you know suddenly there's the tornado in your yep. backyard. Yep. So for these type storms that we normally have, the preparedness that we can do for them needs to really be ongoing. Yeah. Those are the ones that worry us. The when, when you know when when a when a when a downdraft comes down and. And, and flattens houses. It's not a tornado, but it's still knocked down houses or trees in an area sure. or, or major wind shears uh, mm-hmm. on the ground. That causes us a lot of grief in a hurry and people trapped and people in wrecks and all kinds of things like that. So you just, you really, it's hard to plan 
for anything like that. But when when you we tell people to to stay alert to the weather stations mm-hmm. and so forth to have an idea again when you see it coming, go inside. Yep. Don't get caught in the middle of it. You can't outrun a tornado, and you generally can't outrun a thunderstorm too much. If you're out on the road, if you're driving, and you know you're getting that kind of severe, you know, thunderstorm alert, whether it's that or whether it's a tornado warning. You know, what are some of the best practices? Like, if if you are out at that point, if if you're if you're caught at it, if you can if you can pull over and and stop, you know, that way because sometimes the water level, the water, the rain coming down, you just you just cannot, you just can't see. Sure. Or the hail, you know, so forth. But if you can if you can get out of the car, if you can get somewhere and get inside a a a, a structure, mm-hmm. that would be the best. You know, if you're in that kind of weather okay. issue to, to to get to get inside somewhere. All righty, Adam. Bill Melton with the now it's the Office of Emergency Management and Fire Services. Yes, it is a it is a combination of of both the fire marshal's office and emergency management. There's been a complete restructuring there, and uh, it's actually pretty cool. Good deal, Bill. Thanks so much for for joining us today. We appreciate it. Thank you, sir.